Now, could you turn over, please, to uh, Matthew chapter uh, chapter 17, page 978. Page 978. And uh, I'm just going to read that, and I'm also going to read a few verses from the... um, the account of the same um, uh, event, but uh, told by Mark. But we'll start with Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. Now this is after the incredible experience of the transfiguration. When Jesus went up with uh, Peter, James, and John onto the mountain, and there was this most incredible experience of Christ being transfigured in their sight into, into... uh, the most glorious heavenly being, um, the most amazing radiance coming from him. Um, and uh, as they came down from the mountain, they, they actually came from a, an, a most amazing experience of, uh, which uh, filled the, the, the disciples that were with Jesus with the most amazing awe and wonder, insight into what, who he really was. And they came down to earth with a bang. And... Uh, uh, it says this in verse 18 when they came to the crowd a man came up to him and kneeling before him said Lord have mercy on my son for he has seizures and he suffers terribly for often he falls into the fire and often into the water and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him and Jesus answered O faithless and twisted generation perverted generation How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Now, if we could uh, move over to Mark's Gospel, which tells the same story, but in in more detail. And uh, it actually, um, I'm not going to look into that that, uh, that great amount of detail. I actually just want to look at uh, the verse 29 of Mark chapter 9. Um, And I just want to notice that Jesus, as well as talking about the fact that... um, they were of little faith. He also said to them, verse 29, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, uh, I've, I've titled my talk tonight, The Clear and Present Danger of Little Faith and Little Prayer. Um, and uh, a clear and present danger, of course, is um, taken from an American, uh, you know, American uh, um, language of government uh, and a clear and present danger is a risk or a threat to the safety of other public interests that is serious and imminent now Jesus did not take this failure of the disciples to cast out a demon as being um, a, a, a trivial thing, a light thing he took it as being a really a really tragic thing and so he he, he says, he bewails this faithless, this faithless generation. Now, as we look into this passage, I want to be 
Think of its application, not only for uh, the time of Jesus, but for the church today and for our church here today. So before going any further, I'd like to pray. So let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, you have said uh, how important it is to always pray and never lose heart. And indeed, Lord, when we come to listen to a sermon, Lord, we need to pray to you. And we ask you, Lord, that you will open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. And you will grant convicting power, Lord, to us so that we might actually, and I might actually, change attitudes that need to be changed, behavior that needs to be changed. And we pray, Lord, we will be blessed uh, by your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to uh, note that there were nine disciples that had totally failed. Now, you might say I'm being a bit rough on them. Well, look at what Jesus said to them in, earlier on in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. You don't have to look at it because it's a very brief verse, but you can if you want. Matthew 10 verse 1. Jesus says, he called to him his 12 disciples and uh, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, they had been given the authority to do this. Uh, and indeed, the, the mission of the apostles, and remember, these, this uh, authority over unclean spirits, of casting out of unclean spirits, was only given to the twelve. And later on, we're told in Luke's gospel, there were 72 others who were also given uh, authority to heal and be involved in this great mission. But it was uh, these great and, and wonderful um, powers were granted to this select group of people uh, that, uh, that uh, were, were Jesus' followers. And in fact, of course, we know from the rest of the New Testament, this apostolic power was granted only to those who actually were uh, the apostles and had seen Jesus risen from the dead. This incident of failing to cast out a, an evil spirit from a, from a, a, a boy basically uh, gave a complete crisis of credibility to these nine men. When Jesus you know, uh, says, oh faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? Uh, now, yes, he is talking about the whole generation of the people amongst he lived. Yes, that's true. He also obviously clearly had in mind um, the father, because the father de declares in, uh, in the more detailed, um, the more detailed account, the father, uh, you know, says, "I believe, but help my unbelief." When Jesus challenges him, because the man had asked, "If you can, if you can do something, please do something." Jesus, "If you can," and the man. Uh, you know, and says, if you can, you know, anything is possible with God. And the man cries, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. So it applied to, to, to the man, but you know, it applied to the apostolic band. The disciples had a problem with their faith. And we see this actually as we go through, uh, go through the, rest of, uh, the rest of the Gospels. The disciples were carrying around a problem with themselves, which were their, was their own hardened hearts. It, 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 uh, it actually is, is manifested by their refusal to accept that Jesus had to die before entering his kingdom. Uh, Jesus taught on numerous occasions that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Uh, he, will be, he will be killed, he will be crucified, and then he will, he will rise from the dead. But 
they, their hearts were hard and they would not accept this. The only person that actually was the believing person was in fact, of course, Jesus himself. And uh, when, um, when his, uh, Jesus um, rebukes his disciples um, at various points in the next, uh, earlier on in, in Mark 8 and also in other points, he talks about um, their hearts being hardened. They had little faith. They were slow of heart to believe. And of course, the thing that we're also told in, uh, in uh, Mark's gospel was, they were men of, at this point in time, were men of little prayer. Now, okay, this is a speculation. When Jesus said, this one only comes out by prayer, other texts uh, of, uh, that have been transmitted uh, and, and uh, were used in the authorized version said, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. Um, most scholars, and I think most evangelical scholars, accept that that and fasting may have been a later addition. But the, the, the fact is, the, the concentration uh, in, in the Mark's Gospel is prayer. This comes out by prayer. What were these nine disciples doing? Were they really seeking the Lord in prayer? We can ask ourselves this. Are we really surrounding our work for the Lord in prayer? There's a danger in, in fact, uh, we have little faith and a danger that we have little prayer. Um, On the occasion when Jesus accused the disciples of having little faith was on one occasion, um, they were worried about their, 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 their food, their career. You know, they're wondering, how can we actually... How can we actually serve you as disciples? We've got no means of support. Jesus said, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Sometimes uh, his disciples were afraid of, afraid of events. Remember uh, when they were in the boat and, and they were scared stiff and they cried, Jesus, save us! And Jesus said again, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. On a similar occasion, you may remember that that Peter was walking on the water. He actually wanted to emulate Jesus walking on the water. And and Jesus said, well, start walking. And he started to walk, and then he looked at the waves, and he looked at how everything was dreadful, and he started to sink in doubt. And Jesus said to him, you of you of a little faith, why did you doubt? Why don't you trust in me and my power? There is a danger for the disciples because they had faith in Jesus, of course, but it was little faith. But the, uh, but the little faith they had was actually microscopic compared to what it could have been. After all, Jesus said, if you had a faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, be uprooted and thrown to the bottom of the sea. And, and so they didn't even have that because they weren't casting a mountain to the bottom of the sea. They were meant to be casting out a demon, but they couldn't do it. So they had very, very little faith. They had real faith, but very little faith. Now, I want to note that what Jesus is talking about in, when he's talking about faith 
the faith and the ability to move mountains, to see impossible things happening, is not a faith in believing our whims and wishes are going to be answered by God. It is in believing and trusting in the living God and praying that his kingdom will come, in seeking to do his will, not our will. These disciples have been sent out by a mission to complete the, the, the mission of going into all of the uh, the towns and villages of Israel, preaching the gospel, extend preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing and casting out demons. And it had failed because they didn't have faith. But what? Faith in themselves? So many, uh, so many contemporary Christian spiritual uh, preachers and teachers, you know, for the past 30 years have, have placed this emphasis upon thinking positively. God can do great things through you. Da, 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 da. Great. You must believe in yourself. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying he's not focusing on ourselves, believing yourself that you can do great things, that God is going to uh, make you do great things. It's that we are utterly weak, but we call upon Almighty God who has the power to do utterly supernatural, incredible things beyond all that we can ask or imagine. But it's him who does them. And it is through prayer based on motivation that his will will be done on earth. His kingdom will be extended. Uh, uh, holiness will come in the lives of men and women. And that, that is what we are, that's what we're praying for. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will. Oh, I would like to have a yacht, a mansion, a fancy car. I'd like to have a big bank account as some ridiculous um, uh, people who call themselves prosperity preachers say. No, not my will, but yours be done. Remember, when Jesus was about to lose everything, he was, he, he was losing his friends, his reputation, and he was in the middle of, of being arrested and then being tortured to death and, and then uh, taking a, the curse of sin upon himself. What did he pray? Not my will be done, but yours, O Lord. And that is what Christians' faith is meant to be about. Faith is believing and trusting in God, but it involves the glorifying of God. And uh, when a man or woman comes to faith, it's so that God's will may be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. And here in our lives, and in the miracle of what is to, to extend the kingdom of God, in working together in a church and sharing in the midst of suffering, it's trusting in this great and wonderful God. And uh, of course, it, Jesus didn't preach a prosperity gospel. He, he taught a self-sacrificing gospel, a self-giving gospel. If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, I say that because we need to, we need to have that framework when talking about faith. Because otherwise, we, we do get into this um, cul-de-sac of actually asking God for things which basically, basically are, are really our own whims, our own projects, our own, oh Lord, you know... Grant us to see, you know, this and that done for you. But actually, a lot of that is our own little empire building, rather than seeking uh, God's will be done. But we do need to believe God for big things. We do need to have faith. When Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow, you may remember that story where uh, Jesus commends uh, this widow who day after day after day, uh, in his story he told, she was seeking redress for the injustices that, that she'd gone through. We're not told what it was, but anyway, she, she sought justice from the legal system of that day, the judge. And, and in the end, the judge, Jesus says, bec not because he was, you know, not, not for any other reason, but just he got 
tired of you know, her constantly knocking on the door, he finally answered. And Jesus said, well, look, if an unjust judge will answer, a persistent seeker, someone who keeps on knocking, keeps on seeking, keeps on asking, how much more will our righteous and loving Heavenly Father you know, answer our prayers? But after talking, after talking about that, he says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a very big question that he's asking. And he, he, he's left, as, if you like, a, a, a question to every generation of Christians, to every church. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in your church, in our church? Remember, uh, in the book of Revelation, we have churches that have lost their first love. If it, you know, the Ephesian, the Ephesian church had lost their, I have this against you. You've got good doctrine, you've got got lots of good works in the past, lots of good achievements, but I have this against you, you've lost your first love. And the truth is, of course, that love and faith are intimately connected. So we need, as well as lamenting the non-Christian world's unbelief, we need to start with ourselves. I need to start with myself. And, and say, well, am I really a person really of little, little faith? Because I am really not seeking uh, God's, God's kingdom uh, in faith. The Bible's full of indications that the spiritual battle that we are in is one of prayer. I mean, the story of uh, when Moses was on the mountain uh, looking over the, the battle that was going on in the valley and his two friends came and supported him as he lifted up the, uh, the rod of God and, and was praying and seeking. Uh, his hands were held, held, um, held up. Um, encourages us to, to think, well, look, we need to keep ourselves um, together, praying together and seeking God's, uh, God's victory. Not going into battle with our own strength. Knowing that, as Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And if without, without him we can do nothing, how important it is for whatever it is that we're involved in, whether it's Sunday school work or, or visiting or open air work or, or some practical ministry, we need to be praying. We need to have faith and we need to be praying. And this is where I want to move on to this second thing. That uh, Mark brings out the fact that, you know, th- this... This miracle happens through prayer. This miracle of the casting out of, of the, the demon happens through prayer. There's two things. I said the two gospel writers. One, meant, one emphasizes uh, the fact that their, their faith was a problem. But the second was, you've actually got to pray. Now, we, Jesus showed us by examples. He, be, he, he believed in prayer. He was the eternal son of God. And yet, having become man, he went out into the hills to pray all night. Why would he need to pray? He's the Son of God. Through him, the whole of the universe was created. Everything is held together through him, the eternal Son of God. Well, the answer the Bible gives us is twofold. One is that he divested himself of his his, uh, divine powers in order order to actually... um, um, Become man to, in order to, to redeem us from our sins. So he, didn't, he, 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 he could have called upon those powers, but he, no, he, he wouldn't call upon those powers. And therefore, he, 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 as the man who is God, used 
the, the, the faculty of prayer or the, the, the gift that God gives us of actually praying in order to be able to be working uh, the works that he did. I'll say it again, he, he could have called upon those eternal powers, but he didn't for the time that he was upon earth. And as God and man, he actually participated in the full suffering of a human being. And that part of that, you might say, suffering, part of that struggle, part of, part of that, uh, the difficulties of being a human being is actually seeking power from God in prayer. And he went out and spent all night in prayer sometimes. Also, Mark one thirty-five tells us, rising very early in the morning while it was still t- dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Uh, Luke tells us, often he would withdraw to desolate places and pray during the day. We're also told that he regularly prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he also sought to to pray with his disciples. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked the disciples to come and and, and watch with him. And of course, I I think that's a a phrase which involves prayer as well. But actually, what are we doing as churches? Churches rise and fall by the sovereign will of God. Absolutely. It is the sovereign will of God by which churches rise and fall. The book of Revelation is clear of God's sovereign um, control of uh, the happenings within churches. But God has also make, makes it clear that the prosperity comes to, the, the, to, to churches, to people and individuals who have faith and who pray. Um, and that's why the early church, for instance, we're told in Acts one fourteen, all these, with one accord, all the Christians, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Prayer was not solo prayer in the early church. It was group prayer. We might call it concert prayer, if we use the, uh, the expression used by uh, Jonathan Edwards when talking about a great worldwide concert of prayer for, uh, for world revival. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit happened after a prayer meeting, not a worship service. Look at the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. They weren't gathered together to, to worship and sing hymns and have a formal service, as we might say. Perhaps they didn't have formal services in those days, but you know what I mean. They, they, they weren't, they weren't uh, having a, a get-together uh, of a, a congregation uh, to, to go through all of the different aspects of worship. They were gathered together to pray, and the Holy Spirit was poured out. When they uh, w- went through the first really severe persecution, uh, in which they were threatened, the apostles were threatened, if they carried on preaching in the name of Jesus, they would be in trouble. What did they do? They had a prayer meeting, and the Holy Spirit rattled the building and encouraged them and, and uh, enabled them to go out and, and preach the word with great boldness. Prayer matters. Solo prayer, yes, but also a concert of prayer. People ourselves really taking prayer meetings seriously. But here we have this paradox. I don't know, I can't say about other, other countries, but this paradox in British churches for a century. Spurgeon used to complain about it. that uh, there, were, uh, there were much fewer at the, at the, the weekly prayer meeting than there were uh, at the Sunday services. Uh, but of course, we see that some churches have abandoned a prayer meeting. They may have a, a you know, a, a, a short time of prayer somewhere in the week, I suppose. But the prayer meeting doesn't exist in some churches. And where churches do have prayer meetings, it's only a fraction of the church membership. 
Now, this should not be so. I cannot believe that this is, should be so on the basis of, of, of the New Testament, that churches should have both little faith and little prayer. And I guess the two are kind of dependent upon one another. It's precisely because maybe Christians don't really believe that God can change society. Don't really believe that God can change lives. Don't really believe that the church is going to make any difference in this world, that they don't actually gather to pray. Maybe that's so, because they haven't got that faith. Or maybe there's other reasons why, um, why we don't get together uh, to pray. But let us seek in our own lives to be like, you know, a, a painters when they're, uh, you know, great landscape painters. They may have a central focus to their actual painting. It may, may be, um, you know, a central building or a person. And then but the whole of that painting is a background to that central focus. The central focus alone isn't enough. You have to have the whole background. Now, in our lives, whether it be our marriages or our church work, whether it be our daily work or whether it be uh, what we do with our spare time, we need to have a central background of prayer in order for the whole thing to give glory to God. We want children converted. We want our contacts, relatives, adults. It's people in the street that we meet. But... We need to surround these things with, with prayer. Praying by ourselves, praying with others. And now this is urgent. And it's urgent for a small church like, like we're in. And in fact, like hundreds of small churches up and down the country. Um, I can remember when I was young, um, you'd get these very solid Christians praying prayers. Oh Lord, we're praying for the young people. They're the future of our church. And in those days, actually... When I was young, 50, 60 years ago, that had some credence in it. Because basically, towns and, 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 uh, in England were fairly static. You know, I mean, if you were, um, if you were born in a town, you, you often found a job quite nearby and so on. So it's quite possible for churches, for people to have their children, and their children were converted, and then they would stay in the area. But of course, certainly in inner cities like we're in, anyway, here, the ultra-mobile towns where basically children will go off to university, often they don't come back from university, but if they do, when they eventually get a job, they're moving because they don't have a, you know, they can't afford, particularly around uh, in, in, in uh, many areas in cities, they can't afford, they need to move out, and so on. And so it, it isn't true that the young people are the future of the church, they're the future of other churches, praise the Lord, and we thank the Lord that, uh, you know, our young people go, are going into other churches and helping other churches. But we need to understand that every small church desperately needs to be praying for conversions in this, in the, you know, each decade. We need, we need a constant renewal of new converts if churches are to survive. Rachel, uh, who was jealous of that her sister had children and she didn't, um, said, give me children or I die. You know, she was so, you know, she was jealous, but she was in anguish because she didn't have any children. And she was really, she prayed, you know, uh, to Jacob, oh, I've got to have children, you know. And um, basically, of course, there is a sense in which, like Hannah also, who was desperate for a child and prayed to God. And if, oh, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate him to you. We need to have that desire I'm talking to myself, and I will listen to this sermon <laughs> to check up on myself in a week's time to see if I've learned anything from it myself. We need to have a desire for spiritual fruit and for conversions. Um, because 
Our task has been given to extend the kingdom of God. And we need to be aware of the dangers of little faith and little prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we come before you and thank you for the reminders in this passage, how great you are, Lord. Nothing is impossible with God. Lord, and indeed, uh, if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, Lord, real faith given from you, then indeed mountains will be moved. We thank you for this. Lord, we do pray. Um, Show us where we can pray more. Show us, Lord, where we are, are men and women of little prayer. Show us those areas where we're not actually praying as we should be. Lord, also show us where our faith is lacking. And Lord, as that man desperately prayed, uh, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Lord, we are aware, Lord, we we want to be full of faith, but Lord, help us, because we know we're not. Lord, we want to be holy, but Lord, so often we're not. Lord, we pray, Lord, that um, in in this week, Lord, you're going to encourage us in, in our spiritual lives as we look to you for change in our own lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.